connection looks good so far. Yeah, connection seems seems absolutely fine to be honest. Um, picture yeah. and audio seem really good. So, uh, so yeah, let's see how we get on. Um, cool. So, uh, before we go into the podcast, then if you're happy, we'll just launch into you know just I don't always, don't don't need to overthink it, and they don't need to be sort of really long answers, but just kind of there's, there's four questions to ask. What's your daily routine? Um, what's uh, your favourite piece of advice? Uh, what's your favourite thing to do to relax? And uh, you know, what what in the world annoys you? you know, just just they're, they're the four questions I usually ask. You know, sort of. Uh, oh my gosh, <laughs> those are difficult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just just do, just don't overthink it. Just uh, shoot shoot off the hip. And so the, the whole the whole sort of four questions are only supposed to be like two or three minutes. Um, so um, I need to think yeah. about what in the world annoys me. <laughs> that, that's a difficult one. Most, most, most people say short. most people say recruiters. <laughs> that's um, a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> bad, bad recruiters, not good ones. Um, but yeah, cool. Um, so what's up to you? I mean, we could do we could always do that bit at the end if you want to do that at the end. It's it's kind of your call. If you want to go into the podcast, you do that first, and then do the four questions at the end. What would you prefer? Well, let's do the four questions in the end. I think that's easier. And, okay, cool. And that way. That way you'll probably be in the in the mode of talking and probably able to, uh, uh, yeah, roll. Yeah, that's it. two on the spot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no worries, no worries. Um, cool, right? So we're recording now. So um, yeah, cool. Are you kind of all already in uh, good to go then for the main podcast? Yeah, happy to. Perfect. So uh, the way I'll, I'll start is I just you know, do a very brief intro. Um, you know, talk about the Piping People podcast and you know uh, where we are. Obviously, this is the first episode of the second season um which is which is great and uh and then yeah once i've done a little bit of an intro i'll kind of briefly introduce you um and then obviously the first question as you know is, is just you sort of tell us a bit about yourself and then we'll go into the, the rest of the questions uh from there so as i said there's no no kind of hard and fast uh rule on timing it's sort of totally up to us yeah it could be 15 minutes long it could be 50 minutes long just really depends on you know, kind of where, where we go and um, so uh yeah let's uh, let's have some fun and, uh, and enjoy it i guess um, yeah. right, so if we're sitting comfortably i will um i will get uh, get cracking okay uh let's check we're in gallery mode because that's always better okay good Okay, so welcome back to the first episode of the second season of the Python People podcast, the home for global technology leaders to share insights with the tech community. And uh, this week we're kicking off with a bang uh, with a guest that I've been uh, quite fervently trying to get on the show for a while now. And um, thankfully our diaries have uh, finally aligned and uh, we've managed to make it happen. So a very warm welcome to uh, Alexi Morganov. Alexi, thank you very much for uh, for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. And there is absolute pleasure. Um, so Alexi, you are the, uh, the head of machine learning for uh, Fluid Analytics. And um, I guess to frame the conversation a little bit today. Um, so you're someone who's got I'm sure we'll hear a little bit more, but you know, an incredibly rich and uh, accomplished background in, in research and um, biotech in particular. Um, and you know, I suppose the world we're all living in now, biotechnology uh, and you know, certain facets of it, like drug discovery, you know, have become very much on, on people's radar over the course of the last couple of years uh, with the pandemic. And I think it's you know, now 
now more poignant than ever before. Um, but in our very first chat, you know, we got speaking about the, the, the link in the relationship or the role of data science within biotech and, you know, sort of how those two intertwine. So, um, yeah, we thought it'd be great to get together, share a few ideas and uh, hear a little bit more about, you know, some of the really interesting work that you're doing at uh, Fluid Analytics. So, um, yeah, so before we, we delve in, uh, I'd like to start where I always do and uh, invite you to, if I may, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your, uh, your impressive academic and um, professional career to date. Well, thank you. Um, I guess my story begins with an interest in molecular biology and especially synthetic biology. So I had nothing to do with coding, Python, data science, machine learning, nothing like that at the start. I was pretty much a wet lab scientist interested in engineering proteins, engineering nucleic acid systems like ribosomes, and I studied molecular biology and then switched to systems biology. Now, it was during that master's course in systems biology that I started to discover that biology has matured enough that data approaches and especially com computational approaches and modeling can finally be used to answer biological questions more rigorously than it was done previously. Mm -hmm. So during my PhD, which I had already kind of decided by that time that I'm going to start in a wet lab setting, I actually switched entirely to computational work just after a year into my PhD. Uh, that was a difficult transition, but I don't regret that at all, at all because I realized that I can actually now finally start answering questions in biology uh, using computational means. And this is when, when I learned to code, took up machine learning, and never looked back. I haven't held a pipette in my hand <laughs> since my first year of PhD, and it's been quite a long time since then now. So after my PhD, I went into consulting for a short time. I started a consulting company focusing on machine learning in R&D specifically, solving hard problems. And then eventually I ended up uh, joining one of our former clients. So Fluidic Analytics, uh, I started working with them originally through that consultancy. And then uh, they invited me to lead a machine learning team internally. So this is where I've been for the past now over a year and a half, uh, building a team of data scientists and machine learning engineers and scientists. And it's been a fascinating journey because I think, it, as you said, you know, biotech today is the place to be in many ways than one, but especially when you're bringing together um, uh, computational approaches, the new developments in data science and machine learning, and you're trying to apply those to solving problems in molecular biology, that's a really fascinating place. And I'm enjoying myself there very much. I think if, had I stayed in the wet lab uh, world, I think I would have found really interesting problems to work on, but I'm really glad that I made the switch. Yeah, fantastic. What a great story. And that's why I really love um, data science and kind of working in this industry, because it's always really interesting to hear how, you know, I guess data science in the way we know it, and statistics and, you know, computer software engineering obviously have been around for a long time, but data science and the guys that we know about space are still a relatively modern entity in, in the technology world. And I'm always really interested to hear how people arrive into the world of data science. And, um, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of really interesting examples of, of how people have worked out like say the, the kind of the level of maturity that exists now how that can be applied to certain industries to really add a huge amount of value and, and solve a lot of real world problems and uh yeah, it sounds like you've uh, you very much hit that that sweet spot and found your uh, your, your calling and your passion so that's always uh, always great to hear so um so talk us through then a little bit in your experience about how data science can be applied to 
molecular sciences to you know really add a lot of value and, and, and advance those processes right well i think you know uh, it's fascinating to think about biology and where it is today really uh, in a post-genomic era we really talk about humongous amounts of data and we used to say i think that there are astronomical amounts of data you know, referring to astronomy as the science that generates the most data but i think we should uh, replace that with calling it biological amounts of data because really today <laughs> with all the new techniques you know from dna sequencing to proteomics the amounts of data that we're able to generate about biological systems is just outpacing our ability to properly analyze it or to come up with methods to really integrate that knowledge and generate insights from it so i think one key thing that has changed in biology and why data science is becoming relevant is because we now have the means to interrogate biological systems at many scales and with throughput that generates you know, data which is now sufficient to start well I don't want to say sufficient because you can always do better, but it's good enough to start making forays into modeling approaches that actually have predictive power, explanatory power, and so on. So I think, you know, for me, applications of data science and molecular sciences especially are interesting where it has to do with learning about the function of key biological molecules like proteins. I'm, I'm very much uh, deep kind of in the biochemical world rather than cellular world i could talk a lot about how machine learning data science is applied at that scale as well but whatever scale in biology you look there is plenty of machine learning and data science being applied but for me the really interesting areas and uh, especially some of the newest developments are happening on the molecular scale and that's where you know, fluidic analytic sits as well we look at protein protein interactions and uh, modeling how proteins are structured, formed, expressed, you know, how they interact, how they perform their function. That's something where data science has recently made significant advances. And that's really been down to two things. I've already mentioned the data, but I think to add to that, uh, data is not just about the amounts of it. It's also about understanding how to extract knowledge from it. And mm -hmm. so we're learning how to debias biological data sets better and better, how to incorporate inductive bias from biological entities into how we architect models and how we build actually the machine learning approaches to analyze that data. And on the other hand, we're learning about how to represent biological entities better and better. So I would say if you can debias your data and you can figure out a way how to encode it as a uh, vector of numbers, then uh, what you do after is no longer as difficult. So yeah. biology today is no longer about just taking methods out of natural language processing or computer vision and just applying them to uh, biological entities, but it's about trying to figure out how to use specific approaches for biological entities themselves. And that's what I find the most fascinating about data science and, and molecular science, where they converge. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really interesting point, like you say, because I think in so many industries, obviously, there is data is being created at such an unbelievable rate that it's now about the sophistication, I guess, of the, of the practices of how we approach that data to extract the value. And um, yeah, I can, I can fully appreciate that. And, and I guess on that note, then, within, you know, like say you've talked about the predictive capability, explanatory capability of, of the, a lot of the approaches that exist today. What, what applications of, of machine learning have you come across that you're kind of most excited about 
uh, within the world of, of biotech? Well, I guess uh, everybody has heard of AlphaFold and their success recently. DeepMind uh, solved the problem of going from sequence of amino acids to predicting a stably folded structure of a protein domain. Uh, it's not quite the protein folding problem. There is more aspects to the protein folding problem. Therefore, I haven't referred to it as solving the protein folding problem. Uh, but it is a pretty important step in our understanding of the biophysical properties that govern uh, protein structure and function. And I think there's a lot of excitement at the moment around this space. So now that we've achieved such an important advancement that uh, people have been working on for the past 60 years trying to do you know and Finzen's dogma was formulated in 1961 stating that protein structure should be encoded in a protein sequence you know, now that we've proven that we can actually extract that information the exciting wor world opens of what can we do with it mm. you know, does it allow us to engineer proteins better almost certainly yes does it allow us to design proteins, more sophisticated protein-based machines? Almost certainly yes. And in the next few years, we're really going to see this knowledge being put into practice. Now, we no longer work with a limited number of protein structures. Now, every folded protein domain in, in any organism, we now have a pretty good idea of what its structure is. So suddenly, you know, the baseline knowledge about proteins has shifted from sequence mm the structure. Now, that is a step change that we're still trying to understand. So I think for me, really, the excitement is about how do we adapt to this new world where, you know, structure becomes the basic entity and how we start thinking in a different way and start thinking in a structural way about biological entities. Mm. And uh, I think this is where it becomes important to consider the functional context in particular. So uh, proteins, they don't exist in isolation. They exist in the cellular environments. They perform their function typically through interactions. And therefore, it is focusing on those functional aspects more and more that is going to help us drive the, this science forward. Yeah, wow. I mean, I guess with, with such a kind of a fundamental advance that's, that's been made forward, I mean, that must open a, a, a ridiculously exciting world of possibilities in front of you. And, and I guess it's sort of knowing how to focus that, how to how to kind of harness that into the into the real world, isn't it? And it's, it's always this uh, <clears throat> this paradigm. I have a conversation quite regularly about, you know, machine learning and, and data science. You know, it's obviously still very much the, 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 the hot potato and the, the buzzword um, in lots of companies. But yeah, in reality, I guess it's, it's difference between sort of you know, difference between commerce and and biotech and those sort of um, you know, science based industries. But but generally speaking, a lot of the the work that that happens, you know, machine learning can't sort of exist in a vacuum and, and sort of just answer that question unless there is an actual real world application, you know, for that problem being answered, you know, and and, and a way to provide value for you know mankind i guess um and you're somebody that's obviously done a huge amount of work in this research and development space um how do you see those those sort of two entities interacting between kind of the the you know, the research side of it and making these huge advances forward in, in terms of what's what's just kind of just happened but then how do you then extrapolate that out to providing real world value and and how do you go about sort of that process of understanding which problems to, to tackle first well, I think first and foremost, these advances really accelerate our ability to translate 
uh, advancements in biotechnology into something applicable. So I think uh, the more we aim to replace experimentation with computation in biology, the faster so that this design, build, test cycle is going to become. I think biology is maturing to become an engineering discipline gradually. We're not quite there yet, a lot still to be done, but we are getting there. The age of biology as an engineering discipline is almost upon us. And that's where we're really going to see it turning into applications quicker and quicker because we'll just be able to iterate through what we come up with, what we're then able to test and what we're able to then improve and test again. And we're going to be able to iterate through that cycle a lot faster with machine learning being part of that loop and an important player in that loop. So I, I really think these fundamental advances are really setting the basis for real-world applications of biotechnology, all the way you know, from drug design, you know, structural understanding of proteins that I talked before, uh, th that's really important for being able to figure out how to drug those proteins, how to design small molecules that bind to those proteins and maybe disrupt their interactions and so on. Uh, protein engineering, we have so many industrial applications of protein engineering from food industry to potentially even solving problems like plastic pollution in the oceans. And we, we really do need biology everywhere we look, from medicine to environmental sciences. And these advances are all going to be accelerated through our ability to integrate computational methods as part of the pipeline. So I wouldn't say that in themselves, uh, computational methods are a panacea for biotechnology, but it's the, about the ability to figure out how to effectively integrate them into what we've been doing before to, to help do that better and faster. That's what's going to change. Yeah, fascinating. And I guess on that note, you mentioned a couple of examples there, you know, sort of pollution in the oceans, et cetera. But do you, and I totally agree, yeah, you know, you, I really like that concept of biology being ushered towards an engineering kind of discipline. I can totally see the logic for that. But do you see in all of your work any kind of obvious parallels or, or crossovers between the, the the focus that you have in biotech and how data science can be applied there and, and how that can actually sort of cross over to other other industries that's a really good question i think there are obviously many parallels with pharmaceuticals uh, pharmaceutical discovery which is more traditional chemistry and very much similar approaches can be used there, also accelerating the discovery pipeline. Uh, but if you branch out further than material sciences, again, you know, similar approaches to describing the molecular space uh, can be helpful in discovery of new semiconductor technology, new materials, and so on. Um, but even broader, I would say environmental sciences is, is a big one because we think of biological entities as these complex interconnected things that are very difficult to describe which are chaotic on the inside you know, whatever you, end of them you poke the changes revibrate through the entire system and i think our planet is very much the same and uh, the problem is that we are actually poking our planet way too much uh, from all sorts of directions and actually figuring out how to reverse that process, how to reverse climate change, how to reverse pollution, how to live more sustainably on this piece of rock. Now that's where I think modeling approaches, data science and relying on large amounts of data that we're able to collect on a planetary scale, that's going to mirror the challenges that we tackle in biology. We're going to have to build 
complicated integrated models. We're going to have to make sure that uh, machine learning is very much part of this and uh, helps us create solutions to these problems, to change everything you know, from our supply chains to maybe even all the way to doing geoengineering on a planetary scale in order to reduce the impact of climate change. We cannot be just carbon neutral in order to reverse the damage that's already done. We actually have to proactively do something. But how to do that in an informed manner, I think that's where approach is very similar to what we apply to understanding biological entities that are going to come in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Fascinating. And I guess it, when I think about the kind of bigger questions to do with climate change and, and uh, that sort of things, I think it's, it's obviously fascinating to understand how the, the advances that can be made through the likes of uh, data science in terms of, you know, predictive um, analytics. And I think it's, it's really important, like great point about being able to reverse that. And because as much as you can have the solution uh, mathematically and you can sort of actually, when we're getting to that point now, like so, I think we do have that level of sophistication in our data practices where we can actually almost answer quite a few of these questions about what we do need to do. It then creates that sort of juxtaposition between the maths and the the right solution and having the answer and actually the you know, the the, the um, curving of of human behaviour because I think a lot of it actually is not so much necessarily around the answers from a mathematical standpoint. It's actually about being able to get people to you know understand the impact and change those those practices because you know we are in the state we're in quite frankly because of of human behavior and um you know whenever i think about all the advances that are kind of being made in climate tech and that kind of thing it, very often it's really inspiring to see but i always still have a, a large degree of apathy of thinking that you know the, the, unfortunately the masses the majority of people you know we wouldn't be in the situation if most people just did a little bit of something different but it's actually changing that that behavior at a fundamental level um you know which is kind of where yeah absolutely is. incentive engineering sort of social engineering where we actually push and prod people to do the right thing by creating the right economic or social incentives and maybe a better ability to model those interacting systems uh, our economy our uh, social behavior uh, maybe that's something where data science can help as well. It's a bit too far from the domains I understand, but I see that as being yet another interconnected system where maybe we can make a difference. But again, you, you have examples, Cambridge Analytica, right? An infamous example where it, uh, machine learning has proven itself to be capable of social engineering, just not for the right purpose, arguably. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very true. Hopefully the same, uh, the same force can be harnessed for good um but uh, no it's, it's really interesting it's kind of a it's a real like say interconnected um paradigm isn't it of, uh, of how these things interplay with each other um but um but no that's absolutely fascinating so far and i'm really interested to hear a little bit more about how you go about approaching uh you, know, you mentioned building out a team of data scientists how you go about approaching your your projects within data science but i think it's fair to say the kind of work you're doing is probably very different in many ways to you know, building a, uh, a predictive model for, you know, food delivery and delivery, for instance, in terms of, you know, the, mm. there's obviously quite a big difference there. So in terms of the, the projects that you're, you're, you know, executing, how do you, do you have specific methodologies that you employ uh, when it comes to how you go about your data science projects? 
I think I should start with telling a bit of a story of data science at my company because uh, that would help contextualize and help answer this specific question. Um, we actually started off as a company that produces instruments for a specific application, you know, measuring protein-protein interactions in solution in, against complex backgrounds. So that's something that we viewed as a black box. You put it in front of a customer, and the customer does experiments with that. Quite quickly, though, uh, we realized that that's not all. We really do need to create a platform, an ecosystem around it, and that's where data comes in. You know, these instruments, they generate data, a pretty unique type of data that characterizes these biological systems, and there's a lot of value in analyzing this data, coming up with approaches that predictive and modeling approaches around this data ecosystem and these experiments. So the data strategy, was added on later onto the business model of the company. And that's what creates both some opportunities and some problems for me in particular. You know, I came into the company first as a consultant, as I mentioned, to help come up with the data strategy, to design what it is that we can do with our data, how it can integrate into this ecosystem, and really figure out what's the value add we can create in the longer term and what kind of research we need to do for it. So this uh, means that I face the challenge of uh, at the same time kind of integrating data science into already a relatively mature system well, there is you know, R&D of the instruments itself there is production there's uh, a customer support and how it's being rolled out to the customers all of this process it's devoid of really data solutions data applications and value creation around data so we need to figure out how to uh, create value add there and therefore also the kind of the kind of team that we create it needs to work across many different levels of support of uh, this ecosystem so i would normally split my team into two. One which works very closely exactly with the data that, uh, that the instruments generate, creates analytical tools that are rolled out to customers through our cloud infrastructure to help analyze experiments performed on the instruments. And then the second half of my team it's more about longer-term strategy, about re research and development into questions that help support the overall ecosystem longer term. And it's about kind of creating the right balance between these two and how we gradually uh, go from R&D and figuring out uh, solutions to difficult problems and gradually advancing them towards implementations already in something that's more production level or what's actually re reaching the customers. So in creating this kind of team, I have to think about uh, quite a diverse range of expertise as well. On the one hand, you know, we're doing software development, a very uh, kind of traditional kind of software development. So methodologies like Agile are our bread and butter, and we have to think in terms of uh, delivering a particular product. We have to think in terms of pretty constrained goals and milestones that we understand because this is already around implementing the solutions that we have previously developed but on the other end of the spectrum we're actually running almost a small academic research group where we're tackling challenges not in, not different at all from what people in academia would would be trying to tackle we are exploring we're trying to find our footing in entirely new areas and try to uh, capture that value early on in order to know what to kind of bring into our ecosystem as a product. Fantastic. I mean, that, that's a great answer to you. I mean, it seems like you've got a really all-encompassing 
approach to um, how you integrate. I have a conversation quite regularly with data science leaders where, you know, because data science is this kind of shiny new object, a lot of companies are like, hang on a minute, we need to go and build a data science team. We're not too sure why yet, but we need to go and build one. And then they, they hire a really experienced, you know, quality data leader to come in. And, you know, there's just not that awareness, or I suppose, or appreciation really for, for why they need it from the top down. You know, if they're kind of expecting all the answers to come from the bottom up. And that whole um, situation of how you integrate data science into a business where a lot of the processes are sort of set in concrete already and, and how do you go about actually demonstrating that value and a lot of it really is about I suppose going back to the point we were talking about you know social engineering but sort of a lot of it's winning hearts and minds isn't it and getting people to to change their behavior, right right appreciate you know the the value it's being demonstrated and um it sounds like your approach there is is working at sort of lots of different levels to, to kind of fundamentally uh you know um make that work from for, from different angles mm. So um, fantastic. I mean, I guess going on to your, you mentioned that the types of what you're doing there varies from, you know, kind of more um, classical software engineering to some of the more you know, uh, advanced analytics uh, side of things. But when you hire for a, a data scientist to come into your team, what, what traits do you feel are really important traits uh, within, a, within a quality data scientist? So I think... Uh... I would specifically focus on answering this question with regards to data scientist or machine learning researcher as opposed to more engineering or software development role because I, th I think th those are kind of better understood so i think your question is more about the data scientist side and more research side uh, there i i'm looking for a person who is quite attentive to detail first and foremost, because I think it's very important when you are sifting through large amounts of data, trying to understand what it is that you're looking at, trying to, to understand the bias, trying to figure out what approaches work better than others, you, know, you notice the little things. You're not happy when there is this one point that just sticks out, right? It could be the all important thing you haven't taken into account. You do want to care about such things. You need to be meticulous enough to uh, worry about it and want make sure that everything falls in line you also need to be attentive enough uh, to notice those things in the first place uh, you need to have a research mindset i think quite importantly you need to be able to kind of iterate through creating hypotheses testing them you know, going back to the drawing board figuring out what it is that you don't know kind of evaluating your assumptions so quite self-reflective approach on the process uh, well, i think people who come out of phd quite uh, recently they almost always have at least the beginnings of such an approach and this is why i quite like to kind of hire people with academic backgrounds into this role because they uh, they have that that's kind of trained into them during phd where you facing quite open-ended problems i think that works quite well in data science even though you might be working on something where sort of, uh, the process is understood being able to improve that process only comes from that kind of insight, from the attentiveness to detail and the re research-focused mindset. So I think I focus on that even more than I focus on specific experience and specific uh, familiarity with tools that you can pick up. You know, if you're an intelligent person, you, you're, you're going to learn that. And there is so much you know, online in terms of resources from which to learn these things. And um, when we code, we code from Stack Overflow anyway, not from our own memory. So th that's, the, <laughs> that's the kind of reality. You need to think in the right way. And uh, 
then you're going to be able uh, to figure out what it is that you need to do. Because actually finding a person with the right experience for very domain-specific jobs is really hard. It's quite unlikely that you're going to find a person who has done exactly the kind of thing you are doing. They will have to learn on the job anyway. So it's better instead, if you're looking for something extra, uh, to actually focus on specific domain expertise. So in our case, you know, if we're working in protein science with proteins as objects, somebody who has done experimental work on proteins or maybe computational modeling work, bioinformatics with regards to proteins, that's the kind of background knowledge that we find useful. You never know how exactly it's going to come, come up. And maybe they've done something entirely unrelated, but there is knowledge that's going to somehow propagate to what they are going to be doing with us. And that's going to be quite important for them to be able to have a baseline on which to build and that kind of background, almost lexical knowledge that helps them notice the right things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a really refreshing and really pragmatic approach to take. And I think I'll certainly understand you know, your point there about certainly any knowledge of domain in, in your particular uh, niche, I'm sure would be very advantageous, but it's really refreshing to hear that, you know, I was speaking to a, a client the other day, he had a, a role profile and they listed under the essential experience, 10 different uh, machine learning libraries and said that, that you know, they, they need to have commercial experience of these 10 different machine learning libraries. And I'm, I'm sort of asking the question of like, why, why, why do they need to have that? You know, it's, for a start of most companies aren't really executing machine learning in a particularly effective way um and even if they are they're probably working with you know maybe two or three of those libraries so to try and find somebody that's you know gone out there and just companies that i think are focusing too much specifically on the tech and not so much around like you said the mindset and the you know the curiosity you know that that sort of approach i think the attitude is is obviously of course you need to be able to uh, you know have like say the attention for detail and have the the kind of mathematical and computational kind of mindset but i think the uh the the curiosity side of it and understanding the the question is is just as important if not more important in the world of data science in my opinion and it's you know somebody that's gone out there and uh, put 50 different uh, buzzwords on their cv so uh, it's great to hear that you're sort of a, a similar similar mindset but you know, those buzzwords, they may come in important when you're actually trying to productionize something. So a familiarity with specific uh, uh, so, uh, toolkits or specific stacks of uh, different libraries, that might be quite important. But that's already more in the domain of engineering and more in the domain of software development, in my mind. And you always need to pair good researchers in data science with good software developers, because those skill sets are often actually quite separate. You find them in different people. So yeah. when somebody hacks together, really you know, hacks together uh, a solution that just about works, then you need to sit down with somebody who knows how to actually make that work reliably 99.9% .9 of the time, how to build a product almost around it, how to integrate it into the stack of what we already have, and so on. And that's when those buzzwords become more important. So it's a different kind of domain almost in, in which we're looking for people. Yeah, totally. I totally agree with that. And I think obviously there's, there's, there's such complex problems. And like you say, that that from the research and the spectrum to the productization and the spectrum um you know obviously two quite different um skill sets and uh yeah of course it's very important to have complementary um offerings and, and skills within the team um other than the team itself i mean are there any uh wider business factors 
that you feel are really important to consider, you know, come from somebody that's integrated a, a data science function from scratch into a, let's say, a relatively established process business? Are there any kind of other important factors that you feel are important to consider um, to ensure success of data science functions within a business? Communication, I would say, is the main one. You really need to make sure you explain what it is that you're trying to do in a way that other stakeholders understand. Um, you need to show to them that you're part of value creation and that you are helping and supporting them in that process, rather you being the fancy, shiny add-on. You know? <laughs> it's not a bell and whistle onto an existing system. It's an integral part of the system. And creating that understanding, then kind of show, showing how what you're building is able to solve problems, improve processes, and actually help others, I think that that's really key. And when you're integrating data science into an existing business, or even when you're building it all from scratch, you really need to think about how it solves a particular person's problem. Other stakeholders as part of this, they need to see that you actually removed some pain points for them then data science can be an active part of the business rather than being seen as something siloed off and you know working uh, on fancy things that only investors see the value of and increase valuation of the company that that's not the case you know data science is a real part of the entire process and other people benefit from it within the company as well yeah yeah i think that's a great point yeah because with with a lot of conversations we have with um you know, sort of early stage tech businesses when they're they're talking about speaking to investors you know it's usually one of the biggest questions is what's your what's your ai strategy where's your data science team and um, you know fundamentally the, the businesses that really succeed are those that understand you know why they have it and and actually that the value is seen internally and it is a really well respected usually very central function within a business um you know because it's really integrated well and, and sort of demonstrated that value to yeah, the internal stakeholders within the business so uh, yeah i totally totally agree with that um fantastic well Alexi, it's been a really um really interesting chat and a privilege privilege to speak to you so thanks very much for your uh, for your time and uh very exciting work that you guys are doing over there at uh, fluid analytics so uh, keep up the good work and uh, i'm sure there's uh, many many uh, breakthroughs to be made and uh, a lot of advances that certainly will come out of the uh, the pioneering work that you guys are doing there so uh, yeah i wish you all the, the best of luck with it moving forward and uh, yeah pop, pop back on again if you'd be so kind in, in the future and let us know about your uh, your latest uh, latest breakthroughs and hopefully we can get together and have another chat again at some point thank, in thank you very much for having me it's been a pleasure take care sweet soon bye for now bye cool perfect Good stuff. Okay. I'm trying that. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it was brilliant. I thought it was really, really interesting. Actually, some really great answers to uh, the questions. So, uh, yeah, fantastic. I hope I didn't get too technical in the beginning. I was trying to avoid going deep, too deeply into this, but uh, there are just so many things to mention and to say. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I find it really interesting, and I think um, you know, often being able to go into a, a bit of you know deeper into the technology, that's kind of where you're gonna educate you know even people that are probably very educated within the world of data science you know you're probably going to give them food for thought and you know sort of give them a bit of perspective they didn't necessarily think about so i think you kind of played it perfectly actually kind of uh, keeping it still understandable but actually giving some really good uh, examples and, and detail going into it so uh, yeah i thought it was, it was great look forward to look forward to editing and to be honest i don't think it's probably a huge amount of editing that needs to be done so i think it was quite a you know free flowing conversation and worked really well so uh 
So yeah, we got lucky with my internet connection. Huh. Yeah, well, that's the good thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's that stood up. So uh, there weren't any lags or any breaks in audio. So that was good. Um, fantastic. Well, uh, I guess all that remains to be seen then is if you're you're happy, we'll do those sort of quick fire four questions and uh, get those um, built into the little uh, trailer. So remind me the questions. I want to have a, a so quick. Uh, what's your, what's your daily routine? Okay. Um, what, what's your favourite piece of advice? Um, that's a hard one. <laughs> have a little think. Have a little think. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I got something. Cool. Okay. Um, what's uh, what do you like to do to relax? And um, and what in the world annoys you? And you can use recruiters if you want. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I need something more inventive for this one. Okay. What annoys me? It can be something. It can be something you know, like trivial or funny or whatever. Because I mean, the whole the whole purpose of these is it sort of intrigues people to to watch the longer conversation. So it doesn't have to be anything too uh, deep and meaningful. Ah, okay, I got something. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. <laughs> All right, let's go. We'll uh, we'll go into these. And so, um, okay, uh, Alexi, what's your daily routine? Well, my daily routine is dictated by my kids. I wake up and go to sleep when they allow me, but within uh, the rest of the time when they're out of the house, it's work and run. Cool, fair enough, fair enough. What's your best uh, favorite piece of advice? My favorite piece of advice is find something you actually care about and that you're deeply interested in and work on that because then you're going to look forward to your work and you're going to enjoy the time working. Couldn't agree more. What's your favorite thing to do to relax? Running. I run a lot. Fair enough. Some good thinking time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it clears the mind. Good stuff, absolutely. It gets the, uh, the natural endorphins flowing. Uh, cool. And uh, what in the world annoys you? when people use the word artificial intelligence <laughs> without properly understanding what it is that they're trying to say. <laughs> very good, very good, very true as well. Cool, perfect, yeah, that, that's great. Um, brilliant. Okay, well I think we've got loads of really good material there to use, so um, yeah, we'll, we'll get it all edited probably uh, in the next week or so. Hopefully we'll be in a position to get it out for next Friday. <laughs> then okay. when um, when we put it out, uh, as mentioned, we'll stop recording. When uh, put it out. We'll